All right, welcome along to the RT Soccer World Cup podcast. Raf Giallo here, and tonight I'm joined by RT Sport Online's Peter Brannigan and also former UCD Shamrock Rovers and Sheffield Wednesday midfielder Paul Corey. And um, I forgot there, Peter, to mention that the UCD connection does spread beyond Paul and actually to you as well. I'm kind of outnumbered on this one. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I, I don't need to remind you that any of the third levels you enter aren't in the Premier Division of the SSE or Tristy League graph as well. So <laughs> it's a double defeat, I'm afraid. Yeah, uh, former Trinity and DCU guilty as charged here. But uh, anyway, um, uh, I think anyone who does listen to this podcast knows the theme and I don't need to repeat it. We are recording during the evening game, which is the last 16 encounter between Portugal and Switzerland. And it's reading Portugal 5, Switzerland 1, and Cristiano Ronaldo has just come on. So, uh, Paul, I mean, that was the big take before the game. And then it's it's weirdly enough, the, the fella who replaces him, Gonzalo Ramos, young striker, bags a hat-trick for himself. Yeah, Ramos has been superb, Raf, over the course of the the 73 minutes that we've seen so far. If you, if you look at the goals that he scored, they're all probably a little different in, in nature as well. The first is... Is just outrageous. He's got absolutely no right to to hit it from where he was. He had kind of Fabian Schar in close quarters, and he's just rifled it past uh, the, the keeper. It was a superb strike. And then the second one was a, a lovely darting run to the front post. Great ball in from Dallow and a, and a neat little finish. And the third one is is one where he's run onto it and and a lovely dink over the keeper again. So his, his game in general, I thought his hold of play was strong. He's a threat in behind. He caused this Swiss back three in the first half endless amount of problems and and his general play is, has been superb so from a fernando santos point of view i mean he's he's fully justified in the decision that he's made whether or not it was it was disciplinary with ronaldo whether or not it was a dip in performances it, it remains to be seen but it would it would look as if it, it has been the right move and uh i just thought it, it freed up the others as well when you look at felix bernardo silva and fernandez they seem to, to be playing with, almost with their chest out they seem like there's more freedom without ronaldo out there so it's very hard to see how, how it's going to change from here on in but portugal have been superb like brazil put down a a, a benchmark last night and portugal you know have, have gone close if not above it yeah and peter i guess uh when ronaldo was dropped it, it you know if we we're talking four years ago that would be there would be major eruptions it'd be a huge shock it only came as a very slight surprise, at least to me. I don't know how you felt when you when you saw that news. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't I wasn't particularly surprised. I thought he was okay in the first game that they played in the tournament, and he got the penalty, and he kind of he looked decent. But yeah, like as you say, he's not the player that he once was. So I mean, at this stage, Ronaldo not playing is not a big as big a deal as it might otherwise have been. I mean. You know, it's a World Cup last 16 games. So they're hardly so confident that they were going to go through, even though they're so far ahead that they could, you know, rest him or, or give him a bit of time off or whatever. So, yeah, like the ends justify the means. I remember years ago, uh, Brian O'Driscoll missing out in a Lions test and the Lions went on and won the game and the manager's job is to win the game and they've won the game well. So, yeah, uh, right decision, I suppose, at this stage. Yeah, and Paul, I guess, uh, well, as he, I think uh, just it's 75 minutes here, he's standing over a free kick, which uh, probably means uh, based on his track record, he's not going to score. But uh, <laughs> but overall, you mentioned, um, you know, players kind of having their chest puffed out. I mean, the players that actually did start and there seemed to be that freedom in attack. How do you think, how different do you think it would have been had Ronaldo started in terms of the, the lack of freedom and movement that they might have had? I think naturally enough, like when you when you look at Portugal, when you look at Argentina, 
the players around the the Messi or Ronaldo superstar are always looking to give the ball to Ronaldo. I think that's that's naturally enough their first thought or their first instinct is, is to look for Ronaldo and maybe go against what is their their natural creative flair. And I thought it looked anyway for me, with Joe Felix in particular, it looked like the shackles were off. I have, I've always thought Bruno Fernandes, particularly Manchester United, is better when Ronaldo's not in the team. And I just thought that they looked a more fluid outfit going forward and Ramos offered them something different in the way that he moved the, the three centre-halves from Switzerland around. And as a as an attacking threat, they looked far more threatening without Ronaldo in the team. I mean, Ronaldo's always been an individual player, Raf. Is, it's always been about him. You would have put up with it for the last 10 years because his individual contributions have been have been so strong and he's, his return in front of goal has been fantastic. But with the legs slowing down, the change, the change probably had to come about. And when you see how well Ramos has done, when you see like Felix for the first 60 minutes, I thought was out of this world. I'm a massive fan of him. I, it's never really happened for Miletico Madrid, but I just, he oozes talent as does Fernandez. So those players, I, I think without Ronaldo on the team, probably play more as a, as a unit and, and they look far more threatening going forward and be very hard to see how, how Santos goes back to Ronaldo at, at kind of, the top of the tree for them in the next round, he'd be great asset off off the bench, but he certainly ain't going to start the next game. Yeah, um, I mean, we'll talk about Switzerland very shortly, but obviously earlier on, Morocco uh, booked their place in the quarterfinals, so only the fourth African team to do that, and they're going to be facing Portugal uh, unless there is a, a comeback of uh, epic proportions here, which obviously, uh, look, I, I, I can't read the future, but I'm just going to say it, that's not going to happen. But um Ronaldo's height um, against a sort of packed defense as we saw against uh, that the Moroccans had against the Spanish. Do you think there is a possibility that he would be brought in just because of his aerial ability or given what Ramos has done and he's been outstanding a hat trick, you know, he can't really ask for more that it would be a foolish and very unlikely that, uh, that Fernando Santos would go to Ronaldo as a starter. Yeah, I, I think it's, I think it's very unlikely just looking at the two sides and how they've played the Portuguese and the Spanish, I think the Portuguese will probably move the Moroccans around a bit better than, than the Spanish would have. And I think with Ramos in particular, like Spain started with Morata up, up top tonight, who, who's not a natural out-and-out out number nine and probably likes to drop into midfield and become involved in the play. Ramos seems more than happy to to lead the line and, and, and be that kind of six-yard box man. He showed that with his second goal tonight. So I wouldn't have any concerns about, about playing him in that role. I think he's, he's kind of got that youthful style of play to, to his game at the moment where he kind of doesn't fear anything. So I think he'd be more than happy to go in there and whether it's a ball from out wide or, or kind of an intricate ball through the middle of the pitch, I think he's more than capable of scoring different types of goals. So I don't see any concerns there. I, I think Portugal are certainly more fluid than, than Spain were today. And if they can kind of replicate this performance, you also have to take into consideration, I don't think the Moroccans will be able to replicate what they produced today given how long they went without the ball for for such a sustained period of time. So I don't think Portugal have many problems. And uh, if if one thing has come about tonight, I'd say Ramos's valuation has probably gone up about 20, 30, 40 million off the back of that performance. Yeah, and obviously as it stands, 5-1, there's another, we've, we've talked a lot about Portugal here, but there is another side to the story, of course, Peter, which is Switzerland. I think it, with Ronaldo in the team, potentially, had he been had he started, and also just given how strong Switzerland have been, I think they've been called the the best Swiss team ever uh, by their manager. One would have expected this would have been a really tight game given the experience they have, but uh, they're it's massively disappointing, especially given the scoreline. 
Yeah, um, they, well, I mean, they just looked off from the very start. That's the thing. It's like one of those games where they fell behind quickly and then very quickly they, they were getting annoyed. You could see they were getting frustrated on the pitch. And yeah, once that tends to happen, you kind of feel like it's going to go away from them. And there was a couple of chances they had in the first half where if they'd got a goal back at 2-0, you know, they could have made it interesting. But yeah, once it gets to 3-4, and four, like the game is is a is a done deal. Um, but yeah, they look decent. They, they gave Brazil a bit of a test in the group stage as well. I think we were all expecting a bit more from them tonight. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They just they didn't really produce it, which would always be a disappointment for them. Although I know we've played them, Ireland have played them a few times and never tended to do well. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know. They just it's a complete kind of off day, just judging by the the part of the game that I saw anyway. Yeah, especially considering they got to the quarterfinals of the last Euros with a uh, with what was actually an epic comeback against France. But uh, Paul, I wonder from their point of view, and it's hard to say because we're not in their dressing room, but. Uh, the whole Ronaldo factor, maybe they would have prepared to have, you know, prepared to face him. And then obviously it's a different attack that they've come up against uh, today. Do you think that might be a factor potentially in there, especially defensively? It certainly looked in the first half that it, it caught them by surprise because Akanji, Shar, and Rodriguez got run ragged. They just weren't able to deal with the movement that was in front of them. And I think they probably would have been happier, particularly Fabian and Shar would have been happier to play against Ronaldo, who's, who's, not as quick and unlikely to to run you in behind. So, yeah, maybe they set up against the Portuguese team that thought the play was going to be in front of them a bit more, but the runners in behind absolutely killed them. They got moved around um, terribly in the first half and gaps appeared from absolutely from everywhere and they never really covered from there. So maybe it was a case that they were preparing for Ronaldo, but even if even if they they were, you would have expected a bit of a better performance. I've never really been gone on the Swiss. I think they always do well to qualify for competitions and they seem to one way or another get out of a group, but it tends to come to to quite a halt once once that happens. They've never really gone deep in competition. So it's disappointing because, you know, they've good players in that squad, the likes of Shaka, Shar, and Bolo, Shakiri. You would have thought with the age profile of some of those players that this would have been a really good opportunity for them. And I, I kind of, I wouldn't say I fancied them, but I thought they were going to give them a bit of a run tonight. They never really got out of the blocks, Raf, and Portugal blew them away within the, within the uh, within the first half an hour of the game. Yeah, it's a contrasting defence to how Morocco set up against, albeit they do play a similar formation, but it's a very different setup in terms of Morocco uh, and the way they defended against Spain and the way they've defended throughout the tournament. So uh, first, from a Morocco point of view, uh, Bono, and uh, this is probably the time where I have to go for the the puns and everything else. I think beautiful day. It's a beautiful day for Morocco. I'll, I'll stop it there. I, <laughs> there's many other options I have written down, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go there. Uh, too many people have done that already. But um, first off, his performance. I mean, we've seen him for Sevilla over uh, a number of years, uh, Paul. But uh, you know, two penalty saves. The other one from Sarabia hitting the post uh, during the shootout. Uh, he's definitely the hero for them today. Yeah, you live off that for a while now. Now, like the one thing was was this the spanish penalties were absolutely desperate I, I didn't think any of them were hit with any sort of conviction and none of them really kind of inspired you when they were going up to to take the penalties but the saves were, were superb it was similar to kind of croatia yes he, he's gone the right way and he's have to save them but i think you're right in saying that like his general play within the 120 minutes was was very strong as well that kind of spine of the team with himself um Saiz and Amrabat was they were they were excellent like they put their body in front of absolutely everything the way they organized to go that long in a game without seeing a huge amount of the ball requires so much discipline requires so much concentration and it just takes one lapse against the Spanish team and and you get carved open so to 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 see it out for for that period of time 
and to you know to get them to a penalty shootout in the first place was was a good achievement. But then the way he produced um, the saves, like he, he went the right way. He seemed to psych the players out and he's produced. So he deserves uh, a huge uh, kind of clap on the back. And, and that goes for the back four and the midfield as well, because that was a huge shift they put in. Yeah, Ronaldo just had a goal ruled out for offside there, Peter, as well. Um, well, he was well offside and obviously he wasn't <laughs> celebrating either because I think he knew it uh, straight away. Um, yeah, well, I, I suppose, uh, as Paul said earlier on, he's a handy player now to be able to bring on uh, off the bench if they need to in a game. Like, he can still produce. He's such a good header of the ball. We know that all too well from the qualifiers. So, I mean, like, there's still obviously plenty about him. It's just, uh, as I say, I think tonight justifies... Um, justifies the, the selection but in terms of Morocco this afternoon I mean I was very impressed that the fact that I think there was you know these this way of counting possession now like Spain had 63 or 64 percent and Morocco only had 23 percent of possession in that game and yet the rest was kind of in play or in context or in contest in contest even um but Morocco was just had a game plan and frustrated Spain and were decent on the break uh Bufal in the first half was really good and he kind of came off after like 65 minutes I wasn't entirely sure what to think on whether he was tired or whatever. Um, but yeah, he impressed. And yeah, I just, the thing is, the longer you go into a game like that, the more you can frustrate your opponents. But like Portugal tonight got such a quick start. That's exactly what they'll be trying to do on Saturday. And the fact that, you know, they're so far ahead in this game, Morocco have to bring so much to a game that takes place in three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. It's it's a big turnaround after the emotional release of a first quarter final and yeah, it'll be really interesting to to see uh, how they deal with this. And uh, you mentioned Sace, the, the defender who played really well. Towards the end, he cleared a ball and then he had to get taped up and then he came back on and he wasn't really walking too well. So again, a quick turn on four days to try and get that injury sorted if if there is an issue there. Yeah, from um, from Spain's point of view, Paul, I mean, this uh, the, the forward trio that they played was the exact same one that would have started in the 7-0 win over Costa Rica in their opening game. Uh, obviously, Costa Rica set up in a in a very, very different way. But was it the lack of a focal point, you feel, maybe, or at least for until Alvaro Morata com, uh, came on later on? Was that the main issue for them? Or, you know, is it just the way they, you know, you've come, you've mentioned how Portugal maybe will give them a, give Morocco a, a different test because they'll move them around a little bit. But what what's the issue with Spain today that you felt um, stopped them picking their way through? I think when you, when you play in that style, you know, it's very important that you move the ball quickly and you move the opposition about and you play with a conviction. And I think conviction was really lacking in the final third today. They, they, you know, Spain naturally enough will look to pass you to death and they'll, they'll keep the ball and they'll move you around and they'll wait for, for the right moment to, to carve you open. But at times when you watch Spain, you're waiting and waiting and waiting and you're just thinking, somebody please just have a strike or, and produce something, a moment of magic from out wide and cross the ball and somebody get on the end of it. And they didn't do that too often. Like the chance at the end um, with Sarabia was maybe one opportunity or one moment when they they managed to time it well, they managed to execute it and, and only the, the post kept them out. But you can't say that happened too many times, Raph, with, with over the course of 120 minutes. And you do expect a hell of a lot more from Spain. Their, their football is brilliant. I enjoy watching it. But if they don't get an early goal or if they they kind of get frustrated. They do tend to, to kind of lose a bit of conviction or, or a bit of intensity in their play. And I thought they, that suffered 
today. And and to be fair to Morocco, they dug in and it, it felt like a home game with the number of Moroccans in there. And that I'm sure got them over the line. But from a Spanish point of view, with that much possession, I would have been expecting them to carve out more clear-cut chances. And yes, I think the absence of, of a number nine is, is very evident within that Spanish team. Morata doesn't quite do it for me. He never really did it for me when he was at Chelsea either. And if you're looking at where they are as a as a team and as a group, they've got incredibly, incredibly uh, gifted young players, but they do need to find that kind of David Villa, Fernando Torres, who's, who's going to play and lead the line and score goals in important matches. And that's essentially what's been their Achilles heel today. Yeah, and that means it is another World Cup since they won it in 2010. It's been a group stage exit, last 16, last 16. So they haven't been to a quarter final since then. It's almost going back to the way Spanish teams would have been at World Cups in previous eras where they were always the the uh you know the the type of team that tended to qualify very well and then perennially disappointed. But um we were speaking to Ray Houghton on the podcast earlier in the week, Paul, and in regards to Pedri and Gavi, he wasn't really buying the hype. He's not as impressed as maybe other people are. What's your take on them? They're still very young, but they are obviously highly regarded. Yeah, they're highly regarded. I I can understand people who might not criticise Gavi or Pedri, but have question marks because they'll say players who play in that position either need to be creating chances or scoring goals. And a lot of the time, maybe they are more about keeping the ball and moving the ball and, and possession-based without really having that kind of killer instinct in the final third. And that's maybe an, an area of their game that you could you could start looking at from a statistics point of view. People seem to be obsessed with that now, you know, assisting goals. Are they having the real impact in the final third? And that's probably not a question mark, but an area that they need to develop. I mean, they're so young, Raph. It is very hard to be critical. So much is expected of them to lead a Barcelona team and then lead Spain on a, on a national point of view. So I really like them. I, I think they're fantastic technicians. I think if, if you put better players, like if you put the, the Portuguese front three ahead of them in that Spanish team, I think you would, you would be looking at, at Gavi and, and Pedri and saying, wow, you know, they link the play so well and they supply that that front three so well. I don't think they have the players in Spain. Like, I don't think Almo, Torres or Asensio have that killer instinct that the Portuguese do. There's so much more to come from them. I think they will be, um, they'll be in that Spanish midfield for the next 10 years. And I think they'll go on and they'll win a competition at, at some point. I, I do get the question marks for now, but for me, I think they're, they're superb players. I love watching them and they're, they're real, you know, world-class technicians. Yeah, most certainly. And we'll just have to see if Luis Enrique remains in charge. Uh, he's, uh, his record is pretty decent. I mean, he took them to the semi-finals of the last European Championships. He's actually been doing something very interesting in this World Cup as well, which is um, streaming um, on a platform called Twitch to some of the Spanish fans. And I've checked out a little bit of it. Um, his Span- well, the way he speaks Spanish, I can actually sort of understand it. So it has actually been, it has been okay. Um, but uh, in regards to um, Morocco, uh, Peter, I mean... Is there a danger, you know, with certain teams when they when they cause a surprise, getting to a quarterfinal is a huge achievement. But is there a danger they get some vertigo when they get to the uh, to the quarters? And I think that is a UCD or not a UCD reference, a, a Bono and uh, <laughs> and U two reference there. I apologize. <laughs> it was one of them. It was one of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, a hundred percent. I mean, the next game, it's it's really difficult to come down. And, and as I was saying earlier on, I think if you frustrate uh, Portugal and you hold them and you get to kind of half time, then you can begin to believe and build. But I mean, you could very easily see, you know, because of how much they put into that game, what happened to South Korea, like last night, get opened up early and be in big trouble or what's happened to Switzerland in this game. And that would be the, uh, the disappointing part. Um, 
one comment I would make on that game today was the referee, Fernando Raffalini. I thought he let a lot go, which I have to say I kind of enjoyed. I think the players very quickly realised, okay, if you go down easily here, you are not necessarily going to get a free. Um, I think Brian Cody might have liked him as a referee in a Munster Hurling Championship game because he was just like, let the game flow and... You know, no diving. And uh, yeah, I really enjoyed that element of it. And it was kind of like refreshing. Just players going down all over the place and free kicks weren't necessarily necessarily being given. And players take those cues from the referee. And I think the players did today. And it made for, well, towards the end of the second half, the game was starting to maybe wear a bit thin. But in the first half, first hour of the game was very enjoyable, I thought, for that for that reason. I think the yeah. refereeing as a whole has, has been very good. I, I think, you know, they've let the... The game flow probably a little more. You know, the, you can have the question marks about VAR, but I think in general the the refereeing has been of a good standard. Yeah, um, I've just seen a six goal going in there. So much was made previously about Messi not scoring in the knockout stages World Cup. He's got that out of the way. Ronaldo's still waiting for a World Cup knockout stage goal. However, uh, Paul, I, I think I did see. I think you were. It was your reaction. I was looking at there. Rafael Leao's. Uh, his second goal of the tournament and second overall for Portugal. What a finish. I, I would have expected him to start tonight, Rafa, ahead of Ramos, simply because I wouldn't have known too much about Ramos coming into tonight's game. Um, and what I have seen of Leo, he's, he's been pretty good when he's played for AC Milan. I mean, that's a superb goal. He's he's come down the left, he's chopped in and maybe questionable from, from Jan Sommer in the Swiss goal, but a superb finish. And he's another one, like, They've so many options in that final third of, of different players that they can go for. And, um, you know, if if they do need to to change it up or bring on a couple of different weapons, if you've got Ronaldo and Liao on the bench, they're, they're certainly two good ones to go to. I I think the Moroccans will be absolutely flaked come come the quarterfinal. I think the Portuguese will will win easy against Morocco. I just can't wait to watch this back next week and see Morocco go to 2-0. But that's the way I see it panning out right now. Yeah, and uh, we'll uh, just as if this is coming right to the very end now, they're going to blow the final whistle very, very shortly. It's going to be Portugal six, Switzerland one. But uh, as a wait for that, those few seconds, uh, the quarterfinals start on Friday. Uh, they're all going to be live on RT2 and the RT player. And final whistle has blown there. So yeah, it is 6-1 and it's going to be Morocco versus Portugal. But the other the other uh, quarterfinals, Peter, uh, the first one is obviously going to be Brazil and Croatia, three o'clock, RT2, RT player. But uh, where do you stand on the whole dancing celebration thing? Because even the Brazilian manager yesterday seemed to be getting in on it. It didn't look that um it didn't look that fluid when he was taking part in it. But um, I know there's uh, diverging opinions on that particular issue. Uh, yeah, I mean... I don't see the issue at all, to be honest. Robbie Keane and his famous celebration as cartwheels was always one of the great things when I was younger, watching Ireland teams go to the World Cups. Uh, Gary Breen's iconic celebration where he didn't know what to do. That's another way of, of celebrating a goal, um, the goal he got against Saudi in that World Cup. But yeah, I don't see what the issue is. And in fairness, I think uh, Didi Hammond has maybe rolled back tonight. Uh, that's the latest I heard. He suggested that he will do the dance if Brazil go to the World Cup final and win it. He will do the dance in the RT studios in Montrose. So I look forward to that because I think there's a decent chance Brazil might go and do very well in this competition for uh, the next three games. So yeah, don't see what the issue is. I, I like, particularly when you're playing as well as you are, you're enjoying yourself and you're winning the game as well. Um, I, I know like, you know, letting out a little secret here. We're, we're supposed to find opposing views when we're looking at these games, but like, that's that's a tricky point to come up with to criticize the dancing. Um, it's not the worst I've seen, certainly not. 
No, no, certainly not. And uh, yeah, but the more important thing, obviously, they probably will. I think they had said the Brazil, one Brazilian player in particular had said uh, prior to the tournament, they had practiced 10 different uh, dancing celebrations, Paul. And uh, that's not going to look too good if they get shocked by Croatia, though. But do you, does it look like um, in that game between Brazil and Croatia that it very much is, uh, you know, it's obviously Brazil's to lose, but the way they played against South Korea, granted, South Korea didn't put up much resistance, but Brazil are going to be heavy favourites and for the whole tournament, but also especially against a Croatia team that lack pace. Yeah, for, for Croatia, it's it's all about whether or not they can get a handle in the middle of the park with Modric, Kovic, Jumbrozovic and, and try control proceedings a bit better than they did against the Japanese because they, they probably didn't show the form that they had in the group stage, but everything is pointing towards a, a Brazil win. And I mean, yes, we, we can talk all day about the the attacking threats that Brazil have, but for me, it's it's the it's the goalkeeper, it's Thiago Silva, and it's Marquinhos. I think that is better than any any kind of trio that any of the other teams have, and I think it's that foundation that then enables them to go forward with Casemiro protecting in front. So, I I don't see the Croatian scoring in that game. I just I don't think they're good enough going forward. the The front line has always kind of been there, their own Achilles heel. Manzuka got them so far in previous competitions. Now you're looking at. Um, Vlasic or, or Perisic whoever plays kind of in, in those four positions and they don't really seem like the the, the type who can really hurt Brazil and uh, if you're not going to do that well then you're, you're always going to be struggling because the the forward players that they have are so good going forward and I think Neymar coming back and being fit gives them an extra gear as well I think his confidence kind of rubs off on the other players and they play with such a freedom and, and such creativity that they they have so much capability of opening teams up and they showed it last night um, Croatia, I'm not sure it's in their nature to really sit in and defend. So I think they'll leave gaps. And I, I think with, with the form that the likes of Richarlison, Paqueta, Neymar, uh, Vinicius Jr. in, I just think they're going to score goals. And, and once they do that, um, they're, they're going to be a tough nut to crack with, with the players that I mentioned at the back. Yeah, and then the Netherlands against Argentina, 7 o'clock on Friday night. How are you calling this one? Obviously, there's a, Van Dijk has been saying about Argentina that he does recognise they're not a one-man team in, in regards to Lionel Messi, obviously. But uh, when you look at the the way the, neither of these two have really impressed on their way to the quarterfinals, but only one of them has what one would call uh, one of the greatest players of all time. So which way are you tipping the scales? I hope with Argentina, <laughs> you know, I I was um I was fully behind Messi at the beginning of this competition. I've I've always loved him growing up and watching him play. So I'm I'm really hoping that Argentina get through. Um I think I think if if Messi's able to produce something similar that he has done in, in the previous rounds, I, I think Argentina will go through. They've both you're right, Raf, the both of them have, have started at different times. For me, I think Argentina are probably starting to get into a bit of a groove. They're starting to play with a bit more confidence. They're starting to look a bit more solid at the back. And, and maybe there's just a feeling that, okay, maybe it is meant to be that they that they go deeper into this competition and the Dutch haven't exactly set it, the world on fire. Um, much, much, I think, will depend on who scores the first goal. I think if the Argentinians get the first goal and the Dutch have to kind of come out of their shell and out of their shape, I think they'll leave gaps and they'll leave spaces that the Argentinians can expose but if it's the other way around and the Dutch score first Nathan Ake Virgil van Dijk and Timber when they've sat in they've looked a hard hard kind of back three to break down so I'm kind of sitting on the fence there I'm just hoping Argentina do and I hope Messi gets to go on to a semi-final play potentially against against Brazil 
Yeah, and I, I guess that uh, particular fixture, Argentina versus Netherlands, has been a lot of classic games in that matchup, Peter, and uh, none more so than the first World Cup I remember watching, the 1998 World Cup, and that Dennis Burkamp goal. But I always think the Dutch commentary is probably even arguably better than the, the goal itself. Yeah, um, uh, what was the show with Bedil and Skinner? They did a good version of taking the mick out of that goal and that whole commentary. But yeah, that, that's exactly it. I, I think I annoyed Dara on the podcast recently by saying that my first World Cup that I properly remember is 98. Um, and that game, it's just like fantastic memories. You know, the other thing to bear in mind is we have to we have to go to Amsterdam next November and they come to Dublin in September as well. So I wouldn't mind seeing the Netherlands win. I always, I have a bit like Croatia, I've always had a soft spot for them because of that World Cup. But yeah, uh, if they did well in this tournament and got confident and realised they were good, um, that wouldn't stand us in good stead uh, for for 2023. But as Paul says, I mean, Argentina is a good story. Um, I would really look forward to an Argentina-Brazil semi-final because I just think that would be fantastic to watch. That's what you really want in World Cup matches, a bit like England and France, which you know we're going to talk about a little later on. So, um, yeah, and like, look, I suppose some of the great games obviously in the 70s, long before any of our times, but you know, and the Netherlands winning well and then four years later, Argentina coming back and beating them well and going on to, to win the World Cup. So yeah, there's there's great memories in those games, but uh, certainly 98 was the one that stands out for me. Yeah, certainly. And uh, you mentioned England and France. Uh, a lot of this is the focus, Paul, has been on Mbappe versus uh, not the quickest English defence, Kyle Walker aside. Yeah, like people are, are saying that Kyle Walker is is the you know the, the the perfect right back to deal with Mbappe and he's got the perfect game to to maybe uh, nullify that threat I think that is true if Kyle Walker is fit and he he's coming to the competition you know with no niggles or no issues that was his first 90 minutes the other night uh since October the second and that that would be a big concern for me and I thought Sar gave him a, a difficult time Raf at, at different times within that game against Senegal that would be a slight worry for me. I thought they got down that side a couple of times. They could have really punished England if they were a bit more clinical. So I think that Southgate will, will go to a back five for that reason. I think he'll play Trippier as a right wing back and he'll put Walker in on that side as well to almost double up and Mbappe and, and try uh, at times to maybe kill off some of the space that he's he's been shown to be so lethal in when he when he finds room and, and he's been able to create or score goals or or tee up Giroud, whoever that might be. So I think it makes sense for England to go to a back five simply because the French have, have been so good going forward. And I think if they are to, to remain with the formation that they've played with, I think that's a very risky move because I think the French, if you give them space, Dembele, uh, Giroud, Griezmann, Mbappe, they're just so good going forward. And, and they'll, they'll do what Senegal failed to do in the first half and they'll score and they'll put the game to bed, I think. So if they go with a back five, I think it gives them a bit of a better chance, but I just think the French have too much quality. Um, I, I'm, I'm not yet convinced that England could go beyond kind of that tier one team. They, they've failed to do so in previous competitions. And I think they'll fail again against France and Saturday. Yeah, and, and if they were to achieve that, Peter, I mean, you look at the sides of the draw, obviously, as we said, um, the chances of a Brazil-Argentina semi-final on the other side, there's a reasonable chance of it. Obviously, the Dutch as well will have, uh, especially Louis van Gaal has been talking them up, will also be viewing that with intent. But England, or the winner of that England-France will obviously get the winner of Portugal-Morocco. And while Portugal have shown themselves to be brilliant tonight against Switzerland, I would I'd imagine the English would fancy themselves, especially if they got over France, because that would be a that would be a massive hurdle. They're going to be slight underdogs in that game. 
Yeah, well, that's it. I mean, it's it's sort of weird to be talking about a side that have got to the Euros semi-finals and, uh, or sorry, the Euros finals in the World Cup semi-final the last time, and we're kind of talking them down. But Paul's right. You look at the teams they've beaten. You know, um, Tunisia and Panama. They beat Colombia on penalties, beat Sweden, and then lost to Croatia. Then in the Euros, they get revenge on Croatia. Okay, they beat Germany, which is obviously a big thing for you know for historic reasons, all the rest of it. But like they drew with Scotland. Um, they beat Ukraine. They got past Denmark after extra time. They're not exactly beating the absolute elite you would say and obviously France are defending champions absolutely although they obviously lost in the Euros last 16 but this French team just looks to be in gear it's a complete step up from what England have been used to and their form over this entire year uh, has not been good so um, even though they've they've did what they have to do in the games they obviously beat Senegal they did well they won the group Um, they haven't really been tested by a really elite team and that's what France are so the thing is I like Southgate um you know, um, I, I kind of, it's an unfair expectation that's put on him. He's basically brought England from sort of nowhere with excellent players, don't get me wrong, and with a very favourable draw. Um, but he could possibly be in trouble if they don't win that quarterfinal, which is kind of mad because I think he's earned the right to bring them to the next Euros. But yeah, I just think France is such a big step up. I'm not saying that England can't beat them, but I'm just saying, you know, in tournament play, like, okay, they beat Germany, but it's not the Germany team that it was eight years ago or anything like that. So it's, it's um, yeah, it's going to be a proper test for this England team. And I'm just not convinced about them at the back, even depending on which way they set up. I'm still, I don't know how they're going to keep France under wraps. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's their, it's going to be their toughest challenge. But if they do hurdle that, then who knows? But uh, before we go, Paul, if you are going to call the uh, the two semi-finals that we may see um, come next week, what's the what's the matchups that uh, you expect once uh, this weekend is over? Semi-finals. Yeah, for the semi-finals, who yeah. do you expect to be in it? I'm hoping for an all South American semi-final with with Argentina and Brazil, and then I I will go for France to to beat England. I think Portugal will be easy winners against Morocco. Okay, and Peter. Yeah, uh, boringly, I'm going to echo those sentiments, and I'm going to hope for a Brazil France final, and maybe Brazil will get their revenge for for '98 this time around. Um, yeah, they've certainly been the teams, the two teams that impressed me most. But I, I, yeah, I just can't see England. They would have to, they'd have to put out, pull out like a really sort of generational performance to prove us all wrong. And I'm just, I'm not convinced that they're going to be able to do it. Go on then, laugh. What are you going with? (laughs) I'm going to go largely the same. I think uh, I would say if it's the final, I would say Brazil and France. I think they're the two strongest teams in the competition. Obviously, that's not how the World Cup works. What would be interesting, though, if uh, if those semi-final lineups do happen, though, um, people were, some people, I think very optimistic people would have been billing the World Cup final to be a Messi versus Ronaldo thing. Now, that's very optimistic now that Ronaldo doesn't even start games for Portugal, but the chances are then they would be playing a third and fourth place playoff, which, uh, Paul, I guess, given their status within the game, it'd be a little bit, it's a bit of a diminishing return. <laughs> it would, it would. Ronaldo, Ronaldo probably play that game as well. <laughs> <laughs> he probably would. He probably would. And he would probably claim himself as the goat if he actually did take a bronze <laughs> in the in the World Cup. But... Uh, it would be a very fitting way for the two of them if it was to be the final. Uh, it would be a very fitting way. I know Ronaldo, maybe his, his likability has diminished over the last couple of weeks and months, but his his contribution to the game has been extraordinary, and as has Messi. So it would be an incredible final if it was to pan out that way. And that would probably be, the, I guess, the deciding factor for many people on who is the, the greatest of all time if it was to come down to that. But, I mean, a lot of results would have to go in their favour and they'd probably have to cause a couple of upsets to to get that far so unlikely but it would be it would be very fitting 
Yeah, and I suppose for, from a Ronaldo point of view, he'd probably need to start the final though, Peter, wouldn't it, to, to, be, to have that conversation? Well, yeah, I reckon so, unless he sort of comes on with 15 minutes to go and, you know, heads two winners or to turn the game around or something like that. But yeah, um, that's a whole different uh, that's a whole different conversation. I think we have a lot of football to be played before then. And yeah, again, maybe in 10 days or 11 days time, I'll be sitting here saying I got it all wrong, but I just, I can't say that being the final pairing. It would be lovely, don't get me wrong, but uh I still fancy Brazil and France, and that would be my hope. And uh, maybe Brazil to win well and sap all the French confidence ahead of twenty twenty three and their visit to Dublin. Yeah, well, anyway, we'll we'll see we'll see what happens. Probably don't want them too confident coming over here, or maybe we just catch them on the hop when they're when they're at their highest point. But anyway, uh, Paul Curry, thanks for coming on this week, and your UCD counterpart Peter Brannigan as well. Um, thanks for coming on as well. Cheers, Raph.